So I think if, if, if you look at it from a global perspective, Africa has a very unique set of challenges that exist on the ground. You know, we, 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 are not, uh, we don't have the first world problems like the West and the East. And we, we have a lot of ch- local challenge from infrastructure yeah. to stability, etc. That, that exists. So, you know, for, for, for financial technology, I mean, for me, technology is there to make human lives better. Right. So, so when it comes to financial technology, how does that make our life better? So, if you look at, for example, the ATM, which is an example of, of fintech, right? We 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 stopped going into a physical bank. We could access our money twenty four seven anywhere else. You know, if you look at mobile money, I can send money to you uh, anywhere, and you can utilize that space and use the Kenya example with Impesa, right? Hello and welcome to Entrepreneurs Talk Africa, your source of inspiration and action from African leaders and founders. I'm Jason Delory, innovator and serial entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to be your host. Today, we have a very special guest who has become a key figure in the African fintech scene, Mikhail Shimansky. Mikhail started his career in the education space, but quickly made his way to the entrepreneurial world as an entrepreneurial scout for Razicorp. After several successful years in the startup and entrepreneurial world, notably becoming head of the entrepreneur and enterprise development at Cape Innovation and Tech Institute. Mikhail makes the move from South Africa to Mauritius to set up the Mauritius Africa FinTech Hub and becomes an essential player in the ecosystem as an ecosystem builder. What a journey makes. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, happy days. Jeez, that sounds like a, a lot of good things uh, that I've done, but it feels like it's never enough. You know, when you when you try and help people, you always try to do more than the best you can. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's it's great to be here. Um, you know, f- for me, it, the, the personal story is a little bit weird, probably weirder than normal. You know, from a, coming from an education background, you know, I fell in love with uh, with mathematics and computers. Um, I taught for five years uh, at uh, school in South Africa. And but but slowly, slowly, I think, you know, from a teaching perspective, you know, you always want to try and do more. And uh, while being a teacher, I started my first kind of part time uh, business, if you will. Uh, You know, we always like to dabble, dabble a little bit into it. And then um, when I was approached to join uh, back then one of the leading uh, incubators, you know, as a as a ex- uh, uh, entrepreneurial scout, you know, I always I always had a passion for people. I always enjoyed uh, listening to people, meeting people, but also trying to help and solve the uh, solve their challenges. So um, during this this journey, and it was two very two two intense two years. You know, I, I got the, the I had the privilege and honor of of you know engaging with people on the ground, entrepreneurs specifically. And really connecting with them and their stories. So, you know, it was, uh, we weren't very sector specific. So, you know, from one side, it was uh, in mining. The other side was entrepreneurs in engineering. Other side was in logistics. So we're kind of a broad spectrum of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and and some of the stories, you know, were tough. Which t- I realized very quickly, you know, that that these individuals, these uh, leaders or rock stars, as I like to call them, you know, they they not only had to fight daily to 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 build their baby and take it to a new level and and scale and are responsible for a lot of people's lives going forward, but it was was, it was a very lonely journey. 
Um, yeah. And when, when it comes from that perspective, I mean, we, we had a process uh, where we onboarded players or, or entrepreneurs onto the various programs that we ran across, I think, seven or eight incubators across the country. You know, it, it, it became a quite, <laughs> quite a personal decision when you told the entrepreneur, no, we, you cannot join the yeah. program because you didn't uh, meet the criteria. And I'll never forget the one story where, uh, you know, the one we rejected the applicant who arrived for the final interview. Um, and a couple of hours later, I was leaving home for home and he was still sitting in his car and he oh. had literally broken down. You know, and I engaged with him and I was like, you know, what tell me a bit more about your journey? And he said, this was my last chance to try and, you know, to to make to succeed my dream. I sacrificed so much. And and this rejection hurt. You know, it's it's uh, he yeah. felt like it was quite personal. And but I, I think, you know, the more we engaged, the more he realized that uh, it was uh, rejection was part of the journey. And he got back on his feet and he became a success story. You know, so for me, you know, I always enjoyed engaging with entrepreneurs. But one day, I realized after around two years that, you know, I was uh, I was one of those people who were were working with entrepreneurs and giving parenting advice. But I'd never had my own kids. You know, I never ran my own business, and so I, f- I started to feel a little bit uh, hollow. You know, so eventually I left and I had an opportunity uh, to to start to start my own business. Um, and <laughs> I know the, the question was what drove me to to entrepreneurship, but it it was it came on a promise. Uh, I made, I gave a promise to to somebody who was passing, uh, who had cancer. And I made a promise that I would uh, take take the recipe and turn it, to do my best and give it my best shot. <laughs> and when I told my my partner at the time that uh, I'm going to be resigning and uh, and f- starting a business around this, obviously you can imagine the challenges. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. But I always thought that I, I need to live the experience. I need to understand the challenges on the ground before I can actually communicate to people what that's about. Otherwise, I'm just a fraud. You know, I can read about it in a pretty book. I can, I can read, uh, read podcasts. I can do it. But if I don't live it, then I will never understand the, the true nature of the, of the experience. Um, and that kind of drove me to pursue building my, as well, starting my full-time business uh, in that space. So that was kind of the, the journey around the entrepreneurship element. And it was a hell of a ride. Yeah, and I, and I think, it, you know, it, it's still, the journey continues. But some really interesting points there, you know, one of the things you mentioned about uh, the connecting with people, it's something that a lot of times, you know, gets missed out of the story. It can be a lonely journey, but it also is about people and connecting with people and understanding and empathizing with people. And then I, and I also know as a founder myself, when you are getting advice from incubators and stuff, there is a lot, like you say, a lot more understanding when you're speaking founder to founder, when someone's been through that journey. So, you know, I can see how that draw to that world came. But obviously, I mean, obviously you, you had a love for it. Otherwise, like you say, the, that time when you sit in the car and, and sometimes the world feels crushing down on you, you tend to, to not get back out there. But, it, you know, you, you've kept at it. You you're still have a love for it. And one of the things that we've come to, or myself personally have come to realize with these podcasts is you almost learn more from those hard times, those failures than you do from the successes. So it'd be interesting to see, um, and I think this is becoming one of my favorite questions is, you know, what what has been your biggest failure and, and what have you learned from it? How have you brought yourself back up? Oh, 
I, I, I love the question there, Jason. Um, to be honest with you, I've probably had so many <laughs> that they're all pretty big. <laughs> I mean, you know, the life of entrepreneur is uh, daily we, we experience failure we, we, on whatever front there is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, you experience failure in the work environment or g- growing your, your, your business. You experience failure on your personal side. You know, it, 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 you, there's, there's just so much failure, you know, so, so quantifying it as the biggest one, there's, there's probably a few that, that stay out, you know, and for me on a, on a personal side of what I've learned through these experiences is that, you know, it's, it's part of the journey and it makes you stronger. If you don't fail, you don't grow, you know, so, so celebrate the failures. I know at the time it might seem quite hard and uh, sometimes you don't see the end of it, but I think for me, there were, I'd like to point to two kind of uh, failures that I think affected me quite uh, on, a, on a personal side. So the first one was, you know, where we, we, we've just launched our product uh, into the African continent. Um, we were looking to scale. We're growing our business. We're employing, I think at the time was about mm-hmm. 17, 18 staff. Um, we had just signed a contract with a, with a government entity, a signed legal contract. Obviously, the champagne gets popped out, you know, the high fives around the office and you, you, you yeah. start celebrating. And, and then you, you, you learn the lesson that, you know, specifically I found through my experiences in, in Africa, you know, a signed, uh, signed contract is not worth the paper that is written on. Um, you know, and obviously that never materialized. So we delivered, we, we provided the services at obviously the cost or inputs from, from our side and the money never arrived. And, and you're kind of the small guy going, weighing up the options saying, you know what, uh, do you take on a government? Okay. Uh, as a small player, do you, you know, more yeah. resources down the drain? Um, what are the next steps here? What do you need to do to survive? So, you know, the biggest failure from my side was to predict that. You know, thinking that a signed contract was uh, was as good as gold, and the, the yeah. lessons from that very quickly became, uh, and I still live by today. Unless the money, for example, is not in your bank account, it's not real. Okay, so that was a, a fundamental lesson I learned from that. So that was the first one yeah. because I had to actually retrench more than two thirds of the staff. You know, and when you when you're sitting in front of of people, tell, uh, telling them that. Uh, the reason why you are retrenching them uh, be, because you made the mistake because it was my fault. You know, I thought, you know, legally I'm covered, you know, as an entrepreneur, a legal contract, take it to the bank, yeah, you know, you read course. about it and stuff like that. Uh, but it was my mistake and my fault. And it was my, uh, my decisions that led me to sitting in front of people who are crying and saying they've got a family to feed. And it was one of the yeah. hardest it was the hardest time of my life, to be honest with you, you know, when you, cause you're responsible for other people's livelihoods and families. Um, so that was kind of the, 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 one of the biggest, <laughs> one of the biggest yeah. failures from my side. The second biggest failure for me was not being honest. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, you know, we, we tend to not see the wood for the trees. We start believing in our yeah. own, BS. We start drinking our own Kool-Aid. We start justifying the, the, the means to an end. You know, you say, oh, you, 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 you've got to say this because 50 people depend on you, or you've got to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And you start to convince yourself that your decisions are right. Um, and therefore you start, you know, not adapting, not being fully honest, you start adapting the truth to see your needs. 
And, you know, my, my actions, you know, I, I, at the time, I didn't see it. You know, I, I didn't justify it. I, you, you, I believed in what I was saying, but it, it took a life lesson where, you know, I was actually pulled back by, by my, my partner at the time, a personal partner, a girlfriend, and where I, I, I had let people down through my lies. Mm. Um, and, you know, for me at the time, it wasn't lying. You know, I, I was doing what I needed to do in order to survive, but it, it, yeah. it has impact to hurt people, hurt relationships. And, you know, for me, that's the, the, the second biggest failure because, you know, because of the, of the justification or confirmation bias we use our, to convince ourselves that we are right as yeah. human beings. So those are kind of the two key highlights for me. Uh, but there's many, Jason, there are many, yeah. many, many of them. Yeah, but, um, you know, I think, thank you for, for, for sharing that. And, both of them have some really important points there. You know, uh, it's it's one thing. Yes, failure is part of the journey, and and I very much believe that. Um, but it's one thing failing, getting up and doing it again. But it's it's another thing being able to look retrospectively, look at the failure, and learn from it. And I think that's Absolutely. the key. You know, it's it's that learning process that is is the key. And I think you know, with with what you mentioned, the the fact that you are like you you mentioned you know you, you are drawn to the personal connections and you felt like you were letting people down it's it's interesting to see that as your your biggest failure is not with yourself necessarily but letting other people down and even though entrepreneurship can start out as a very lonely very individual journey at the end of the day you do become responsible for other people so Absolutely. your failures don't just ex- affect you but they affect other people and if you don't identify it understand it and then learn from it you you're bound to keep affecting other people in a you know in the negative way that you, you don't necessarily intend and and yeah you know i think that's definitely something for you know entrepreneurs out there and and aspiring entrepreneurs to think about is is yes you know it's your failure but it affects other people as well and if you don't learn from it you're bound to do it again and again and again uh, and yeah exactly uh, so if i, I mean, mean Sorry, yeah, Jason. You know, to, to close off that point, I think that one of the biggest learnings for me throughout uh, through these failures was the ability to that we all going to make mistakes, right? We're human <laughs> beings. We always yeah. make mistakes. But there's three questions we should always ask ourselves. You know, it's for us to grow. So the first one is what went wrong. The second one is how do we fix it? And third one is how do we make sure it never happens again? And I think if you're true to yourself and you take each opportunity, each failure as an opportunity to learn, you know, you will grow as a human being moving forward. So it's, it's, sorry, I, it's just something personal. I live by those three questions. No, I, I I completely agree. And, but it also takes a lot of self-awareness, you know, and, and I, and I do realize that when I was younger, I may have gone through the motions, but it really takes asking yourselves, honestly, those three questions, you know, you have mm-hmm. to be honest about it um, to yourself as well in order, otherwise nothing will change. And I think, you know, it's only later in my career and later that I, I really understood the need to ask that and the need to be honest with that, because you can always, like you say, you know, put it under the table and just move on and nothing changes. But if mm-hmm. you really want to progress, you need to be honest with that. And I think those three questions are so key and definitely something that people should have uh, a top of mind the next time they have a struggling with a situation. Yeah. And, um, you know, your, your journey is, is, is definitely an interesting one. And, and um, you know, moving from the education space and then very much into entrepreneurship and innovation. But now you've become, you know, quite a key player in, in the fintech space. I was wondering what drew you from, you know, 
being an advisor with entre- entrepreneurs and, and that area. What drew you to fintech? I mean, why fintech? So, uh, interesting question. Um, maybe to give it some context, you know, I was uh, very agnostic when it came to entrepreneurship. So, we worked with projects uh, on the continent uh, across every single sector and industry. And, you know, I, I had a pet passion for, for biotech, uh, ed, ed tech, mm. educational technology. Uh, we launched some of the, the f- first on the continent, et cetera. But funny enough, uh, at, at, the, at City, uh, the Cape Innovation Technology Initiative in Cape Town, the oldest tech hub on the continent, we, yep. my, my CEO started talking about fintech a lot. And initially I was like, you know, with financial technology, you know, financial services, you know, how much more can we do in that space? And so, so it took me a while to, to really get or understand what this thing is. You know, so, so for me, financial, what attracted me to financial technology or fintech was the ability of the technology to include people into the formal digital economy. You know, um, uh, if you look at stats specifically in Africa, I mean, in Mauritius, we have a 100% bank population, right? So we, we've got that. And yet majority of our payments are still in cash. So there's a slight, a slight disconnect on that side. But if you look at Africa, you know, if you're looking at 1.3 billion people on the continent with, I think the last stats I saw, 60% of those are unbanked or underbanked. That is a lot of people, a lot of human beings that don't mm-hmm. exist uh, in the same privileged situation that we are. So what attracted me to, to fintech after a while was the fact that we now have the potential to, to get those people back into the formal economy um, with, with things that are very user-centered or products that are user-centered. And we can actually help people uh, to make their lives better, you know, because money impacts everybody, whether you're in fishing, mining, engineering, space travel, time, whatever industry you're in, money needs yeah. to move from point A to point B. And, uh, and uh, around the world, we use that as a means of, of exchange, right? So, you know, it's, it's really the, the financial technology has the ability not only to bring people back, but also to change people's lives for the good, which is one of the reasons uh, I came to Mauritius uh, and, and work effectively at an NGO is because it, that is our purpose, is to help people. You know, the, for startups to be able to get money quickly because of a need and not relying on a formal institutions where it takes three to five months to get a, a, a reply from them, but it can take 10 minutes for them to have access to money they need in order to do that. That is the power that financial technology has. So that kind of attracted me on, on the ability of the technology to scale and do good on the ground. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, the great motives there and, and very much driven by impact in terms of the impact that you can have in, with the endeavors that, that, that you, you put forward and that, that you promote. Um, and one, one, one interesting point, I mean, when you're, when you're saying that, uh, I very much understand it. And while you say it, I got lots of examples, but where are the boundaries? I know a lot of companies and, and it seems almost like a buzzword, you know, like they say, I'm a fintech, comp- I'm a fintech mm-hmm. startup, I'm a fintech startup. And, I, and I, you look at the model and you're like, mm, are you, are you really? Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you define those boundaries? Like what classifies as a fintech startup? I mean, is it anything that touches financials? institutions is it anything to do with you know technology and connecting people what would be your your boundaries for for accepting people into your incubation 
So, so if you're a purist, um, you know, financial mm-hmm. services and a technology that's, that uh, works in that space would be pure fintech. I know everybody okay. uses it, throws it around, and now they're smashing yeah. AI into it. They're smashing yeah. all of these, these other cool buzz hip words. But at the end of yeah. the day, you know, the AI application and why they're using it in, 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 as part of fintech at the moment, not to have, mm-hmm. say it doesn't have practical application in the industries, is because using algorithms to in the financial service sector would then classify that technology as fintech right mm. so you know if you look at it from a pure 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 purist perspective what i like to look at look at the sector slightly differently you know financial technology for me yes it it uh, it's, it has to impact financial services and the technology has okay. to apply to that sector but also what it is what i would call uh, auxiliary services or or allied industries that that could potentially fall under that banner so if you look at money moving you need to move money cheaply quickly and securely okay across the border and that for me what uh, what what fintech has driven that revolution the speed at which that's done so money is not taking sitting for seven days it can be nearly instantaneous in in some instances you've brought the cost factor down from 10 15 percent to three to four percent right so people are paying less for those services right and securely anything to do with uh, with the security of money we've got a you know we've seen a lot of cyber crime on the rise globally at the moment yep. and now you know so so for for me, even though cybersecurity is its own sector and industry, for me, I view that as an allied industry, you know, because yeah. we need to secure the money that's being moved. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, so it's it's a it's a it's a very good question. And it's one that people just smash everything into. You know, we did a it did a uh, an event at one stage where it was fintech and tourism. And I mean, I looked at it. I'm like, "What the hell are we trying to do here? <laughs> you know, where do we where where do we draw the draw the line? Yeah, yeah. But but you know, I used an example because I was trying to really, really, really find a connection here. I mean, between tourism and fintech. And you know, I, I used an example at the time, and and this is why the definition can be a little bit fluid depending on who you talk to. You know, if mm-hmm. you create as part of your, let's say, Minister of Tourism launching launches a, a virtual reality platform, where. Um, where you know Mauritius becomes in a virtual space. Anybody in the world yeah. that can put on headsets, walk Mauritius, take a tour of Mauritius, mm-hmm. buy products in the virtual oh. environment. Okay, so use nice. real money to buy products yeah. in a virtual environment, and then Amazon yeah. or somebody delivers that product, whether in the UK or states, within 24 hours to your door. Okay, Great. now the solutions to move the money is fintech. Okay, mm-hmm. but financial technology will you will be able to unblock that. It's a bit of a stretch. But, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's if, and that's why for me, you know, fintech is what I, I like to call a convergence technology. It's actually an enabler to mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. under industries. Where you draw the line is if you're a pure, uh, purist, it's uh, it only applies to financial services. If you're more, I don't want to say progressive, if you're more, uh, out the box thinking, I, I think technology applies to every single sector and industry. And, if, you know, it, 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 it incorporates some of the allied industry that makes it possible yeah. for the money to move. Uh, I mean, some, I really found some of what you said are really interesting. And if I could just, you know, jump back a little bit. You were talking about, you know, cybersecurity is almost like an, an allied uh, industry uh, to fintech. And, you know, 
the fact that it is so broad, it, it can cover so much depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it. Uh, one of the questions, which which it may be a little bit uh, off topic, and it could probably, we could spend the whole podcast on it probably. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, there's this interesting dynamic happening now where we see telecom companies stepping into the financial world and we see finance companies and banks stepping into the telecom and tech world. Mm-hmm. Now, the regulatory part of this, and you know, like you say, we have to secure all of these things that's happening. You know, what is your view on on the regulatory part? I mean, are we build fast and break it, or do because we're talking about money, do we have to be more secure? I mean, where do you position yourself? How much regulatory do we have to include, or you know, is that battle going to stop advancement in fintech? Uh, regular, Jason, regulation is key. Um, yeah. You know, without regulation, whatever. So, so the the hub has four pillars. One is regulation, capacity, innovation, mm. and and funding or deal flow. Right. If mm-hmm. we don't get regulation right, none mm-hmm. of what we do matters. Okay. So, you know, if to your, to your tel- telco's uh, example, you know, I think telcos realized quite a few years ago that voice and data will go to zero. And what does the new business model work look like? You know, and, yeah. and to maybe to, to, to close off the previous discussion, you know, f- the, the future of the, the entire private sector, it's just a personal opinion from my side. You, we're going to have a lot of tech companies that just specialize. So every one of them will be tech mm-hmm. company. That's because of digitization yeah. of, of what they're trying to achieve. Right. So mm-hmm. regulation, back to the regulation aspect regulation is key you know without without some form of regulatory clarity you know and that can range from let's wait and see what happens before we step in so like some Mm -hmm, for example mm -hmm. uk does or the fca in the uk does with some of their fields or singapore does or other jurisdictions do to the the other extreme where you start over regulating the industry to the point where where you'll kill it You'll fundamentally kill uh, the mm-hmm. innovations coming. And keeping in mind that, you know, outside of medicine, the financial industry from a global perspective, probably the second most regulated industry out there outside of medicine or medical, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because of the importance nature of this space. So, you yeah. know, there's, we, so regulation is there to, to provide safety in, in the financial system. So millions of people don't lose or scam their money. So yeah. there's a safety aspect that they bring mm-hmm. to the table. Innovation is some is is effectively something that regulation has never seen before. Okay, and mm-hmm. therefore those two are always going to be at loggerheads, right? Because one is stretching the limits and 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 incorporating new fields that regulation doesn't cover, and the one's trying to hold it back, not hold it back all the time, but it's trying to perceive, adopt a wait and see approach. So yeah, so yeah. I don't think there's a one size fits all when it comes to mm-hmm. regulation. I think the fact that regulators are part of this journey is critical to the su- yeah. success of whichever vertical you look on the, across the fintech spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've got to understand and engage industry on the ground because keeping in mind, regulators are great regulators. They are not technologists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. they, they they, you know, they don't, might not understand the new business models, the new technology, the new way of doing business, but, but engaging the, the industry and the innovators on the ground will help to alleviate the gray area. And only by open dialogue between the various stakeholders can, yeah. can, can we achieve an equilibrium where the regulation will, will, will be critical and the regulators mm-hmm. will get it and understand it. Uh, and then the private sector is given enough leeway and 
and room to maneuver in so that you know the the regulation can can keep up so it, it's it's a pull and push approach and yeah, i think yeah. both parts of the equation are are imp- just as important just. but but regulation in itself is the key if you start yeah. to, let's say you you know you impose a a tax or a, a requirement from a regulatory perspective for startups to hold 1 million usd in your bank account at all times capital reserves you know what are you doing to the industry who who in the right mind from a startup yeah. perspective has a million usd and that one decision could kill the entire industry okay yeah, and that's exactly. why they have to engage on the ground yeah so the, the, that balance that give and take from both sides is essential and you know i know in previous uh, and i think you know regulatory has caught up and they are aware so they they're starting to approach things differently because you know i know back uh, at the you know, myself being from kenya when when we saw the rise of mpesa it was more let's ask for forgiveness than permission um, <laughs> yeah where they they push forward then they asked uh, whereas i think now with you know the maturity of the regulators they are aware and they are conscious that they don't want to kill this these advancements and mm-hmm. and you know the the progression so i think there's got to be you know that balance that give and take and i think uh, what you say with the regulatory aspect being so key and working with them rather than uh working around them if 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 that's the best Makes way to sense. put it yeah it's really interesting and you know we talk about the 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 fintech and and the importance of fintech but but why and you you mentioned the impact and the value that that it can bring but why do you feel it's it's so important for africa at this time you know uh, with what we're facing why is it such a key area for africa's development so i think if if, if you look at it from a global perspective africa has a very unique set of challenges that exist on the ground you know we 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 are not uh, we don't have the first world problems like the west and the east and we we have a lot of ch- local challenges from infrastructure yep. to stability etc that, that exist so you know for 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 financial technology you know getting the people back on i mean I'll, I'll take it a step back and I, I'm jumping around a little bit here from my side. I mean, for me, technology is there to make human lives better, right? So, so when it comes to financial technology, how does that make our life better? So if you look at, for example, the ATM, which is an example of, of FinTech, right? We, we, we stopped going into a physical bank. We could access our money 24-7 mm-hmm. anywhere else. You know, if you look at mobile money, I can send money to you uh, anywhere and you can utilize that space and use the Kenya example with Mpesa, right? So for yeah. me, in, in that situation, you know, uh, in a rural environment, you know, a 90-year-old not having to get onto a taxi, travel for three hours to the nearest bank, you know, queuing at the bank, you know, taking the taxi back home with the cash, you know, there's a safety element, there's a risk element, and there's a lot of other other factors at play here. But for me, the most important bit is that a person person has wasted one day, one seventh of their week, their lives, which they cannot get back, trying to get the money out so they can buy the groceries. Okay, that is not right. And so from the one aspect, from a social aspect, financial technology is important in Africa because it solves social challenges. You know, a lot of the, the challenges that exist, for example, people don't have uh, access to, to credit scoring, right? You know, so, you know, first world developed countries, you can look at credit scoring, you've got backgrounds, et cetera, and your risk assessments based on, you know, your bank account and, your, and, 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 a, and a couple of other factors on the back end, right? How do we, how do we distribute money to people who don't have that 
right? And how do we distribute people who have never been part of that environment and who need help, but we can't help them because of our current legacy system? So, so technology is a power to unblock that. If you look at uh, one of the startups in, in, in South Africa, where they base your credit scoring based on number of times you top up your uh, prepaid cell phone, okay, prepaid, not contract, right? prepaid cell phone, based on your mm-hmm. behavior in that, they can distribute money to your mobile wallet within 10 minutes up to yep. 10,000 rupees. Okay. No, I mean, that's that system, right? With the verification, that is a, a solving a unique challenge in Africa. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that for me is why, why financial technology is important because, A, we have a lot of people who, you know, we have a lot of social challenges and bringing those people back and the, the, the dis, disillusioned people who think that, you know, having a bank account or a mobile wallet is for the elite and, and they don't understand the challenges of, you know, what challenges they're life will be faced because they've been excluded from that you know so so for me financial technology is important for africa and for example if you use crypto you know if you look at your currency fluctuations you know if you look at zimbabwe where it had million percent uh, day-to-day inflation rates you know or fluctuations in the currency we're seeing uh, african small businesses adopt crypto today okay (laughs) as a means of stability and effectively trying to to do their own business business and running the business day to day because there's stability a stability aspect mm-hmm. that they don't experience in their own countries. So from a fintech perspective, why it's important for Africa is because a we need to get more people uh, to have equal opportunities on the ground. We should not you know we should stop judging people by how many zeros they have in their mobile wallets or or bank accounts or lack thereof and give them opportunities that are equal for all. And from a personal perspective, that's what I believe that f- financial technology has ability to do yes you know the fintechs need to make money 100 percent. i mean they're all for profit right but yeah. by the sheer nature of scale you know they and and user-centered design they are able to to put products to market that are relevant and solve people's challenges mm-hmm. while at the same time being more cheaper and putting more money into the a person's bank account a, a, a person's back pocket oh that sounds yeah. dodgy person's <laughs> you know, keeping more money within within a yeah. For, for the person. So that's why I believe that fintech is, is important from an Africa perspective. It, it helps us with our social challenges. It helps us with a lot of other challenges that exist that not many other continents have at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I completely agree with you. And, and, and that's so true. You know, some of our problems are so unique that um, it, it takes unique uh, solutions to deal with them. And as we say with, with the case of um, M-Pesa, we saw the direct impact it had on Kenya. And, and even now, I mean, it's, it's almost a security risk to the nation because I, I don't know how much percent, uh, I'm not sure of the exact figure, but, you know, 30% plus of all trade is done on M-Pesa now. So mm. it is almost a security risk. But yes, it shows that the impact that we can have and the inclusion that it can bring uh, with, with a simple solution. And we, we hear... You know, we, we, we've heard from you what, what you feel in terms of the what fintech, why it's so important for, for Africa and, and why it's for the future of Africa and our development. But um, do you want to tell us a bit more of what you see um, uh, the Mauritius African um, fintech hub? What is their role in, 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 this, in this change and, and how do you add to that uh, ecosystem? 
Hundred percent. So, from our side, you know, uh, as, as an NGO, we we were a government-sponsored initiative, but we are effectively very independent. So, we we operate based on the need we see in a marketplace. But from the onset, the way we were structured is our purpose is Mauritian for Africa. In other words, mm-hmm. the first mission statement is to build and consolidate the local Mauritian fintech ecosystem and help drive the various innovations and 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 stimulate activities on the ground mm-hmm. and be the facilitator. And if we get out, we do that right, we're out of a job. Okay, so you know, yep. for us, it's always about stimulating and ma- making sure that other people pick up the challenge and the ecosystem becomes in equilibrium. But for us, that is a first stepping stone. We cannot do this in isolation. We can only, only, only work. I mean, we are an island nation of 1.3 million people out of 1.3 billion on the continent. It's, 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 it's. If <laughs> we're not a, a big player when it comes to maybe numbers wise, but what we what we do have is as a great ability to be. The First in the space, and then through this, uh, through our engagements and POCs, MVPs, and testing of various products and services, which Mauritius could be a great environment for, we can share and uh, the, uh, share the information, the knowledge, and the learnings with our counterparts on the continent, and almost build uh, uh, a unified front when it comes to fintech on the on the African continent, because uh, because of the impact that financial technology can have on the ground. So yes, the first step is build, consolidate, how. Uh, facil- uh, stimulate local but the second aspect is uh, work with other players because 54 countries 2000 dialects we are a very fractured nation okay yeah. when you you know you, you mentioned the pesa earlier on and pesa it was very successful in kenya copy and paste that to the south africa model 11 months later tanked hard Right, yeah, and that exactly. shows you the the diversity okay. and different you know, context and environments that exist in a 54 50- Four nation continent. So having a dialogue on a, on a pan-African uh, arena, if you will, is important to unblock the constraints because, you know, you know, for example, if you look at Ethiopia and we have a big player moving in there with no regulation, they are shouting for help because they this is a new thing at the moment for them and they are very worried about what this means because there's no formal regulation happening on the ground. Right, so they've come to us, for mm-hmm. example, and other jurisdictions who've gone through this journey to ask for assistance. And you know, for me, that's what the the Africa vision is all about. Is you know, we we've now part of the African fintech network. So I'm proud to say, Mauritius is on yeah. the board of eight other countries on a, on the mm-hmm. continent that represents 36, I think it is at the moment. You know, so mm-hmm. we have impact uh, on policy from a pan-African perspective. But for me, the fact that something like this exists, where we it's not we we keeping we we competing on a one end, hundred percent. You know, Rwanda, yeah. South Africa, yeah, Egypt, Morocco, Cote d'Ivoire. We're all competing because we're all trying mm-hmm. to be build a premier uh, ecosystems within our own jurisdictions. But at the end of the day, what I'm very proud of is the fact that we can put aside all of that and actually sit down around the table and and share our learnings learnings for the benefit of all. And for me, Jason, this is what Africa is about. You know, this is what the, the, this beautiful continent of ours is all about. We, we, are, we, 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 excuse my French, but we actually give a shit about each other as human beings. And, you know, we, we tend to forget about the sustainability angle of, uh, of businesses. And we, we, we tend to forget about <laughs> making money because we just want to do good. But that's what the purpose of Africa is. And, and, and from an Africa fintech perspective, you know, the fact that we work very 
closely with Nigeria, you know, and who, Nigeria, who is a massive market for for anyone, actually works with us and and takes what we've done under consideration and adapts it to the local market. That is a big win, you know, and that is how smaller players are able to to show their value to the greater. Mm-hmm continent as a whole by being innovative first to market execution sharing your learnings helping on the ground so for me that's what uh, what uh, math's purpose is is could Mauritius as a jurisdiction be that glue that kind of unites all the other countries um, to sit around the table keep discussing and and, and be a leader yeah. in that space going forward and um, and I must say, uh, you know, uh, when when we first met uh, early in your setup of, of um, Mafa in in Mauritius, I think about two years ago or so, um, you know, it, we I very much felt that drive from you and that energy, and it's it's amazing to see what you have been able to achieve in the past two years. I mean, uh, okay, despite COVID, you know, with the with the I believe the 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 Africa fintech festival you were actually able to to bring them to secure it to be held in Mauritius for year 2020. Um, this shows, you know, the strides that we're having and the impact that we are also, we are a small island, but that we can have with, with African community as well. And, you know, making sure that there's that collective knowledge throughout and, and, and having, you know, that ecosystem. And I think one of the things you mentioned there is, is, is this, this duality of having a robust local ecosystem, but also being part of, of the larger ecosystem. Uh, why do you think, you know, ecosystem building and, and, and that, you know, with the incubation and all of those other aspects, why do you think that's so important for, for our environment and also Africa as a whole? Uh, so, so for me, you know, first the ecosystem, everybody throws it around like fintech, right? It's used exactly. uh, loose and fast and everything. But, uh, <laughs> but, but for, for, for us, an ecosystem is effectively making sure that all the stakeholders are part of the journey. Okay. aligning everybody to the importance of what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve to make sure that the purpose is aligned. So, you know, if, if you cannot do this yourself, no matter how big you are, how much money you have, how much sway you have, wherever you are in the world, nothing can be achieved by working by yourself. And for, for, for us, uh, an ecosystem in, in equilibrium, if you would like want to use that terminology, very similar to nature means that there's a harmony. Everybody plays yeah. their own role to to ensure the success of the greater good. And from mm-hmm. our perspective, you know, in Mauritius, for, the greater good is could we position Mauritius as that fintech hub for the continent, while at the same time working with the rest of the continent to make sure that we are helping and and working together through open collaboration. So you know that that underpins the the what ecosystem means to us, making sure that all the stakeholders are aware of the challenges, but also of the solutions that you're trying to work with, and that they are on board. Because if you don't get government there, then you're not going to have the one of the largest uh, buyers or in the ecosystem or guys who make the regulation right. If you don't have the entrepreneurs or the innovations, nothing will happen. If you don't have academia training the future youth and the talent of the country, we are going nowhere. If we don't have the funders part of the equation discussing the challenges and seeing line of sight of the opportunities, if without without all those pillars that are underpinning the, the ecosystem from our perspective, we will fail. 
right? And that's why building a, an ecosystem where everybody yeah. is part of that journey, everybody's contributing because we are all equal. There's no one better than the other, okay? So for us, our side, even though we're an NGO, you know, yes, we serve the, the entrepreneurs uh, for through various programmatic support. You know, we've got other incubators. You know, it's important for us to work together to serve the, that environment. Government, yes, it's, yeah. it's an important player, but also, you know, we need to make sure that, uh, that they're part of the journey with us. And for me, that is the, the, the success of an of a ecosystem or what an ecosystem is, is all the players, yes, they're competing to some extent because we live in a capitalistic free world. But at the end of the, end of the day, the beneficiary, the purpose is that the, the, the country, the ecosystem, the continent wins going forward. So incubation first is an element. Uh, skills development, it's a critical element because if you have an innovation, but you can't hire people, okay, local talent, where are you going? You know, for the funding aspect, if you have an amazing idea, you have amazing people, but you can't raise capital at a series A or later, you know, it's a problem. So same with regulation. You don't get the regulation right, you're dead in the water. So all yeah. of these pillars are actually they 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 they're not mutually exclusive. Okay. They actually need to coexist and work together hand in hand. And that for us is what building a, a successful ecosystem is. All the everybody sits around the table. There's nobody better than anybody else. Everybody gets equal weight and we we talk about solutions going forward. Uh, great, some some really wise words there, and and I know um, we're, we are close to to you leaving us, um, but I I just wanted to get some maybe some final words of advice for entrepreneurs out there mm -hmm. who are maybe thinking about starting their own venture or are down the journey already, and and mm -hmm. particularly in the fintech space. What what would you say to to any of those entrepreneurs listening to us today? I'll, I'll, I'll throw in the the one standard one which I found across the board is is to never give up. Um, you know, just to, just to mm -hmm. keep pushing because tomorrow the sun will rise, and if it doesn't, we're all in trouble anyway. So, so just keep pushing. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you will get nine hundred ninety nine no's in a row, but it's that one yes mm -hmm. that can make you. And you know, and it, what that means for me is keep hustling. You know, and uh, an ex ecosystem, yeah. for example, in fintech exists now. We, we, for example, we're a small player, but we had forty odd events in the last three months. If you're in fintech and you're not part of a free event, you're wasting your time, go get a job, okay? You need yeah. to take every opportunity yeah. available for you. You're gonna get rejected, but it's gonna take that one yes, that one interaction that will change your life, but you have to put the hard work in to get there, okay? Um, in, in order yeah. to go forward. So, so keep on hustling, keep on push, uh, pushing on the ground. Um, from, a, from a second perspective, um, you know, okay. I, I think just, just, be honest, you know, is uh, whatever you do, be honest with everybody that you, you work with and honest with yourself. Okay. You know, and yes, you, you, you know, I've I always had a, had a theory that if you're an entrepreneur and you haven't thought about quitting at least once in a month, you're a liar because it's, it, <laughs> the time, because the times are tough. Right. Um, yeah. But just just be open and honest in whatever mm -hmm. you do, you know, build a credibility around build your brand around honesty and transparency, you know, don't hide things don't don't embellish things be just say what you can do and then over deliver 
and prove yourself going forward. So two things is don't give up uh, and, and just keep pushing. But the second one, which is my personal learnings through that through this entire journey, is just be open and honest, even if it puts you at a disadvantage. You know, rather have people know you for the one that is they can turn to trust. Uh, because they value your opinion based on who you are as a characteristic, as a person first. Um, so just be open and everything, open and honest in whatever you do. Great. Ah, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I think that that is some some key key takeaways, and you know, that that aspect is so essential to success. You need to have that resilience. You need to capitalize on any opportunity you have and you need to be out there to capitalize on those opportunities you know and and that key piece honesty which sometimes we we forget and i think it is so true uh, i really appreciate your time your passion and your honesty with us today it has been an absolute pleasure and um thank you much for having me it's been an honor being here So, welcome back to Gerald and Mark, my, my co-hosts. So, what did you think about my conversation with Miguel? Gerald, you want to start? Gerald? Yeah, yeah, with pleasure. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jay. It's, uh, it's nice to, to be back on the, on the podcast. Well, uh, a lot of things has been said, and I, I need to say that, first of all, I am a very um, novice in the field of uh, fintech. And one thing that um, that Michel said, and I completely resonated with me, is like he himself had uh, a level of skepticism in the very beginning when the, this new wave of fintech was starting. And he himself was like, what else can we do? What more can we do in that area? You know? And then fast forward uh, in the future, look at him today. He is the yeah. one who is driving uh, this fintech development in the, in the ecosystem. So what I want to say to entrepreneurs out there is like, don't close the door or turn your back too quickly on stuff that, um, that you don't know or, mm. or you are a bit skeptical about. Like I will mention like crypto, blockchain, AI, crowd lending and stuff like this. You know, sometimes it's hype words, but yeah, it can turn out to be like real right. game changers in the in the ecosystem. So keep digging, keep your your mind open, and yeah. To your point, I think uh, it's sometimes a lot of the way other people see technology as a solution. No, it's a tool. You can use it to achieve what you want. So, for example, exactly. with financial inclusion or to alleviate poverty or access to capital or whatever the case may be, you use fintech as a tool to get there. So, yeah, I agree with you. You don't be don't be thrown off by yeah. the fancy terms and all of that. There is ways of using it to meet your mission and your vision and your goal. Yeah, it's a really yeah. good point. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, just to add to what you the fact that, and I, I linked that, actually, I linked uh, a lot of what uh, Meek said about, um, you know, having an impact and talking about the 1.3 billion African uh, down there. And it's uh, and it, it relates to, to Mary's discussion a couple of weeks back. Um, it's really, a, it's really thinking about, you know, big impact. And that relates to what I'm sharing with a lot of, of startups these days, which is scale. 
okay, we talk about a lot about scale, you know, and, yeah. and yes, Mauritius can be a, a kind of a, of a test bench of what we can do, but we, you need to think big and, and, and scale and see how you can scale. And I think that's where today what, what Nix is saying is that, hey, don't, don't, look at, don't look at just, you know, where you are, look at where you could be and, and, and go there. And, and make an impact on the world, you know, make a dent. I think that's, uh, that's, that starts really hard to resonate with me these days. Some wise words there, Mark, and uh, thank you once again for listening to Entrepreneurs Talk Africa, your source of inspiration and action from African leaders and founders. We hope to catch you next time. And if you guys can uh, take the time and, and rate us on whatever platform you're listening on, it would really help us out and it really helps us keep producing our podcast. So please, guys, just give us your five stars. Thanks. <laughs>